Well, Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, this December is great. I, I love December at our church. I love the way we decorate. I, I love the way we take the whole month and we just give it right to Christmas. And um, I want to dive in this morning. I want to explain and go back through. Most of us know all of this, but I, I want to go back through it anyway. Um, and while I do that, hon, could you do me a favor and fix this for me? Because I, I preached the first service and then I totally messed these up. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I tell you, uh, we are just so, so blessed. Uh, usually between services, I straighten my notes out and I go to where I want to go in my Bible. And I didn't do that. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, without glasses. John. Um, so um, th this, this whole, uh, I, I find John in here for me, would you please? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, by the way, wh while I'm, while I'm uh, faking it up here, uh, when you leave, our dream team is going to give you some of these cards. They're invite cards. Uh, how, how many of you? There's some. How many of you? There are three people in your life who don't go to church. Let me see your hand. Okay, and the rest of you are probably lying, but you don't want to, you know, talk. So, when you leave here, this is a great opportunity to invite three people in your life to church. Here's here's another question. How many of you want to be a part? of somebody else's story. Yeah. Think about that, church. You're sitting here this morning, many of you, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and, and you're living your life knowing when you leave this planet, in other words, die, or if Jesus comes first, okay, we can talk about that, death. When you die, you're actually going to Leave here and be in his presence, because that's what the Bible says. And, of course, we believe that. And that's your life, and you're living that life. And you're living that life, and, and I'm going to talk about this this morning, with the Savior. And, and I would say to you, there are people in your life and people in my life, people that we meet. I, I bought coffee at Starbucks for the person behind me and gave them one of our invite cards. Because I, 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 I want us to be a part of stories in other people's lives. And that can happen by simply inviting someone. Did you know that 83%, the, the, this, the highest statistic that there is in terms of inviting somebody to church and being successful is inviting someone to church and asking them if they would either go with you or meet you there. When you're willing to do it at that level, the percentage rate is 83% of the people that in your life and in my life will say, yes, I'd like to do that. I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying as we head into 2020 that our entire church starts to think differently about this. That's the life that the New Testament church lived. They just lived 
and breathed that. And the Bible says that they're not, they were added to their numbers every single day. That means every New Testament church had at least 365 new people every year. Being a part of someone else's story. Today I want to look at Jesus' genealogy. As a matter of fact, there are two places you can find it in the Bible. One is in Matthew and the other is in Luke. There are over 300 detailed prophecies that were fulfilled by the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ. Over 300 specific prophecies. Some Bible scholars say there are other prophecies that kind of lean into it and touch on it. The number could be actually over 700. But, but there are 300 um, prophecies for sure about the birth and life and death of Jesus Christ. And for some of you who love math, okay, or some of you who are into Vegas numbers, all right, I, I, I wanted to kind of open that up a little bit with you. If one person fulfilled eight prophecies, the odds would be one in a, let's see, million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, I think. I don't even want to know. Some of us would love to have a bank account with half that amount of zeros on it. That's one in eight prophecies. If, if a person were to fulfill 48 prophecies, if they fulfilled 48 of them, the chance would be one in 10 to the 157th power. I don't even know what that is. I have no idea what that is. But one in 300 prophecies, church, only Jesus could do that. 300 prophecies. He fulfilled every single one of them. And I, I thought to myself, how many can we look at this morning? I mean, it's 300 of them, and, and I only have 30 minutes, and, and so maybe I could get it down to 30, right? Right? Or, or, you know, me and my notes, sometimes it's just three notes, so maybe I could get us down to three prophecies, and we could handle that. I don't even want to do that. We're just going to look at one. I want to look at one prophecy this morning. We're going to go to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, is this passage of Scripture, and, and it says, but you, Bethlehem, David's country, by the way, this is the Message Bible. I, I, love, to, I love to sometimes look at passages in the Message Bible because it's, it's just such a whole refreshing look. It says, you, Bethlehem, the runt of the litter. The runt of the litter. It's like when you're, when, you, when you're leaving Phoenix here, right, and you're going to Disney in California, and you get off the exit at, like, Blythe or someplace, you know? It's just, it's just the Bethlehem, the runt of the litter. Bethlehem would not have qualified for a Walmart. No Chick-fil-A happened. They probably, don't even have, they probably didn't even have one Uber driver. There was nothing in Bethlehem. They probably could not have qualified for a Circle K. That's pretty bad. The runt of the... And Bethlehem has always kind of had this. Even, even today, it is not the big... It, it's famous because of who Jesus is. Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter. 
It goes on to say, from you will come the leader who will shepherd Israel, who will be the ruler of Israel. He will be no upstart. He won't be a pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to underline ancient and distinguished. Matthew, I want to jump to. We, you know, we all have our Christmas traditions. We get out all the, the decorations. We did it at our house. As a matter of fact, we used to do a fake tree. You put the fake tree together. You know, lights are already on it. You plug it in. It's just great. You know, but but um, I, I just didn't like giving up all that. We, we don't have storage in my house. We just don't have a lot of storage. So I was glad to get rid of that box. And, of course, Karen wanted a real tree anyway. And so every year we do a real tree. We all have our own traditions. How many of you, it's a real tree? Minority. How many of you, it's a fake tree? Woo! Good on you. How many of you, it's an angel on top of the tree? How many of you, it's a star on top of the tree? How many of you have nothing on top of the tree? Well, we have, a, and for some of us, it's, it's you know, the, we bring out the Elvis Christmas albums, or for some of you who, who are older and more mature, you bring out the Chipmunk Christmas albums, or we all have our favorite music that we bring out. We have our Christmas traditions, and Christmas has this wonderful look to it, and I love the way we decorate here. I, I love, do, do you guys like the way the place looks? Yeah. yeah. How many of you have been by, by our campus at night and you saw the outside? Yeah, if you haven't done that, you, you need to figure out what, that, what night of the week you can drive by this place because it is impressive. It's just, it's absolutely, I love that. Christmas is, is just a lot of fun. But Christmas looks wonderful from a distance. That Christmas wasn't all that great. It wasn't an easy thing. It was this town of Bethlehem that they just, they happened to get into. They, Mary and Joseph on a donkey had been traveling a long time. Mary was ready to give birth. I, 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 she probably had some, some words for Joseph uh, along the path. The, the timing of this could not have been worse. And here they are. They land in the one hotel in Bethlehem. And it was so tiny, it, it didn't even, it wasn't, a, um, it wasn't able to, to, to take many people. And it happened to be full. And then the innkeeper allowed them to stay out where the animals stay. Mary, this is childbirth, no epidural. <laughs> Screams happened that night. Animals were around them. It wasn't a pretty picture. And when they left there, the king had issued a decree that all baby boys under the age of two years old were to be put to death because he was trying to kill this Christ child because he heard about this king that was, and he, he felt so threatened. And that's what was going on in their life. And it was so bad that when the wise men left, 
They, they went a different route home because the king was pursuing them. And when Mary and Joseph left, they didn't go home. They went to another place. Christmas looked great from a distance. But that night, and Joseph almost put Mary away because of their laws and, and the way that God sent the angel to speak to Joseph. Karen shared about this last week. And, and when Joseph heard the angel, he responded in a way that God wanted him to respond. And he embraced his role as, as, his, as Joseph's earthly father and protector and Mary's husband and protector. But the culture... She could have been stoned. And of course, they're married, and the, and the timing for, for all of the years was, was the, everybody was thinking about the calendar and, and when they got married and, and when she had the baby, and, and something just didn't seem right, and it followed them. And the genealogies are, are so clear in Scripture. Luke, Luke's a doctor, not only was he a doctor, he was Greek. And so he writes to the Gentiles. And as Luke writes the genealogy in the book of Luke, he writes it all the way back to Adam. So we know every single dad from Adam to Jesus from Luke's genealogy. Because the way they did genealogies in that day is the dads were listed. All the way through, the dads were listed. Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. We would call him a crook because he was Jewish and he collected the taxes from the Jewish people for the Roman government. And he added on a heck of a percentage for himself. And the culture, everybody knew that's what Matthew was. But Matthew became a follower of Christ. Jesus stepped into Matthew's life, and Matthew recognized who Jesus was and accepted him as his Lord, as Lord and Master of his life. And Jesus changed who Matthew was. And Matthew is writing this genealogy for us. And that's one of the things that I want to look at this morning. Because a genealogy is a big deal. It was a so much bigger deal even then. And we have Jesus, then Jesus steps into, into his role of ministry at about 30 years old. 30 years old is about when a priest would actually, in their day, step into ministry. 30 years old is how old Joseph was when he began to serve the king in Egypt. David, when he became king, he was about 30 years old when he became the king of Israel. It's the age that, that a man would step into the key age in life in his role. And Jesus steps into ministry. In other words, he was patiently waiting. He was working in a carpenter's shop until his heavenly father was ready for him. He was patiently waiting. Sometimes you and I get ahead of God. And we get in trouble when we get ahead of God patiently waiting. This genealogy thing, it, it was so much bigger a deal then than we would see it today. It was the bloodline. It was the family tree. 
It was kind of like if, if, if you were looking for a new job and you went back and, and you, you really refreshed your resume. You see, the genealogy was kind of like a resume. And some of us, when we do our resume, you know, we, 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 put the, we put a date there and then we put the job that we worked at and then we put back to the next date and when we put the job that we worked at and, then, and, and, and we create our whole resume. But some of us leave some stuff off, you know what I mean? Because if you're going for a job and a new boss and you don't want him to talk to that guy or that girl, so we leave stuff off. It was the custom to do that with your genealogy. Herod did it. Many of the kings, it was, it was a custom to, there are, people, there are people in your family you don't want people to know are in your family. There were people in their families they did not want people to know were in their families. And so it was customary to do that, to, to, to leave people out of this genealogy. You're either a noble with a, a, with a genealogy or, or you're, you're a nobody. I mean, that, that, those were the two classes. That's, that's where life was. And, and Jesus was the Messiah. The Jews were waiting for their Messiah. It, it's like growing up and we were thinking we would think about Superman. It, it's something that far out there. And he was their Messiah, and they were waiting for their Messiah. And there were over 400 years between the last prophecy about the Messiah to come and when Jesus showed up on the, on the planet. 400 years, no prophecies. And then Jesus comes, and he was to lead his people. And Matthew writes this genealogy. And I'm not going to read the whole genealogy. It would, it would just take too long. But I'll I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to pull out just a few samples. And, and I just want to read them. And, and I want to read them with you. In, in verse 1, this is, this is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. You know, it would have been fine it would have been absolutely fine if Matthew, when he's writing this genealogy, he stopped right there. It would have been fine. This is the, in other words, Jesus came from Abraham. Jesus came from David. That's his family tree. That would have done it right there. That's all he would have had to do, and he could have, and he would have been right to do it that way. Matthew goes on. Judah, in verse 3, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Some of you didn't even know Dodgers were in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed. You need to read the story of Boaz, by the way, in the Old Testament. It'd be a great one for you to read. Whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was to be called the Messiah. And then as, as Matthew's writing, he, he takes the genealogies and, and he spreads them apart in three groups. And he says, thus, there were 14 generations 
from all of Abraham, in all from Abraham to David, and 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon. The exile in Babylon is when King Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel and took thousands of captives back to Babylon. Some of you remember that from Veggie Tales. David to, to, to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile in Babylon to when the Messiah came to Jesus' birth. And Matthew tells this whole story. He doesn't skip a generation. He doesn't skip anybody. And he gives us the whole list. He doesn't leave any out. And it would have been customary to leave some of them out. In verse 5, let me go back there and start there. See, Matthew gives this very clear genealogy. And when we ancient and distinguished. And we think of Jesus and, and, and the genealogy that he came from, and, and we think of our Bible, and, and we don't think of ourselves like these people because they were close to God, and these people, had they, there were ways that God used, could never use me the way God used them, and we, we just think like that. And in verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You know, one of the interesting things about this genealogy, it is filled with women's names. No genealogy in their day, long before and after, had women in the genealogy. Only their dads were recorded. Nobody in history, did more to elevate women than Jesus. Nobody. Jesus walked up to and spoke to women. Jesus had women in ministry. Jesus, it, the culture prior to that kept women uneducated. They did not learn how to read. Kept them on the side. They were not allowed to be in the mainstream of culture. In all cultures, people, it is still like that today in some countries in the Middle East. It's the culture. Nobody did more to elevate women than Jesus. Verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You know what's interesting about this verse? Rahab was a prostitute. And in case you're not sure what that means, that means she was willing to take money for sex. I'm not sure if this is clear with you. That's what she did for a living. And yet she is in Jesus' bloodline. And yet some of us, some of us think to come to Christ or, or to accept Christ as our Savior or to even be thinking about moving from the life that we're in, we have to fix things in our lives before we can come to him. When, when you read that passage of Scripture, she was a prostitute. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Merry Christmas. This is the Christmas story. And yet, Matthew doesn't leave it out. He puts it right in there. Let's go back to verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar, Judah 
was Tamar's father-in-law. In other words, Judah slept with his son's wife. I think most of us would call that scandal. Do you not think? But in his defense, he thought she was a prostitute. That's his defense. So in Jesus' line, we have a prostitute. We have scandal. And it would have been enough, as Matthew was writing, to put Jesus, whose ancestic, ancestic history was Abraham and David. But no, he adds every single one. Speaking of David, you knew I couldn't leave that one out. David in verse 6, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. And it's interesting how Matthew writes this out. He says, the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. What? What's going on there? And, and, and if you, you know, we, we talked about David in our last series. And if you know the story, you know what happened. You know that David was king of Israel. David was at home in the palace, up on the roof in his palace. And I mean, this place was amazing. And David's looking out, and he sees this hot chick. And David sends somebody to bring her over. And what happens? David has an affair. And Uriah, her husband, is actually out fighting one of the wars that David had going on at the time. And, and if you do a little bit more research into that, it was at such a time and such a battle that David, the king himself, should have been out there as king and leading his army, but he wasn't. He was, See, when you're in a place where you're not supposed to be, you can do things that you're not supposed to do. And that's what David did. And so David has an affair. Now we have adultery in Jesus' bloodline. And David's thinking, I got to fix this. I got to cover this up. Ever thought like that? Ever thought like that about something you, I, I have, about something you did or, or didn't do? I, I got to fix this. So David sends Uriah from where he is in battle to lead his troops out on the front line, knowing He's probably going to get killed. And what happens? He gets killed. So really, we're talking about murder. So in this bloodline, in this family tree, in Jesus' resume, we have a prostitute. We have a scandal. We have adultery. We have murder. And this is the very bloodline that God chooses to bring his son into your life and into my life. David, 
The Bible says that David had a heart that sought after God. The Bible says God loved David. And God used and loved David even after all of this. David was a great king, and he led Israel. His success was great. And as you continue through this lineage, as you continue through this bloodline, idolatry shows itself up in a big way. Other things show themselves. It is, it is a broken family tree. It, it has twists and turns to it, and yet it is what God shows. See, God, God was intentional about having Matthew put that down in ink and pen and paper so that you and I would have that information. Matthew tells it all, which means God wants us to hear it all. This tax collector, this, this guy who was basically a crook until he became a follower of Christ, kind of like some of us, most of us, all of us, if we're honest, this broken, messy world. See, God's gift to us did not come under a tree. God's gift to us came in the form of a baby who was willing to spend those 30 years in a carpenter's shop and be patient for what his father, heavenly father, wanted him to do. And then he was willing to allow them to beat him until he wasn't recognizable. And then he was willing to let them nail him to a tree. And he gave his life for my sins and for your sins. And he became our savior. And he comes to us on Christmas. And every year, every year, we stop and we remind ourselves of that. And as we go through this entire month of December, we're going to talk about Christmas. We're going to enjoy the season. Adrian Rogers is a great pastor. He, he put it so wonderfully in an analogy with the Christmas tree. He said, Adam was very much like a Christmas tree cut off from its roots and brought into the house and decorated. It may look better in the house than it did out in the wild, but what happened when it was cut from the source of life will show up sometime around New Year's. The truth of the matter is, is that it often is called a living tree but it was dead when it was cut off from the source of life. And so it is with man. We have a live tree in our house, and we call it a live tree, but it has a short window of attractiveness. And then it becomes a nuisance, no matter what you try to do. We, we, just like that tree, can spend our lives trying to fill a void, trying to make a connection which is not the connection that God intended. Because when we're not connected to our source of life, 
When we're not connected to our creator, we're not connected to life. We're spiritually dead. And, and that's why God sent his son in the form of a baby to be our relation, to be our savior through our relationship with him. See, we're all on this journey. We are born and we're all going to die. You may not even be thinking about that. And I don't need you to dwell on it, but that's the reality. But we're also spiritually dead until we have a Savior. And that's a choice that he gives to us. It's a fallen and a broken world, and, and, and we need spiritual life. We, we need to be connected once again to God. And Jesus Christ came and died and paid the price to be our Savior, to once again connect us with God. But if we die before we become spiritually alive, we actually become spiritually frozen while we're dead. And we will forever be separated from God. And the Bible calls that hell. And God does not want that for anyone. And that's why he makes it so clear in his word that he sent his, that our Savior is not just for the Jewish people, not just for the people who, who are very, very religious, that that Savior is for everybody. See, he is a God who wants everybody to be connected with him. We were separated from God by sin. It's a fallen and a broken world. And because of that, we need a Savior. In other words, God has kept his promise on Christmas when he gave us his son as a baby, as a gift, who lived and died and rose from the dead. First Peter puts it this way. Peter writes this. He said, he himself, meaning Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. In other words, so that we can be spiritually alive. By his wounds, you have been healed. You know, after the service, our, our, some of our prayer team is going to be down front here. And if there's something going on in your life, I'd encourage you, come on forward. Let Pray with one of us about it. If you're struggling with something in your body physically, if you're, you're struggling with an illness, there's something going on, come on front and let us pray with you. By his wounds, you have been healed. The Bible says that it's by his blood on the cross, we're saved. It's through the shedding of Jesus' blood. It's through his blood that we are saved, but it's by his wounds that we are healed. That's why that whole process of Jesus being whipped and bruised happens. See, when Jesus died on a cross, he died as if he had committed the very sins that you and I commit. He took our sins on himself and died on a cross. And then he rose from the dead. In other words, he conquered sin, hell, 
death, the grave, Satan, conquered by everything in history changed when Jesus rose from the dead. And we celebrate that on Easter. Jesus, it's like Jesus says to you and I, I have entered into your pain. Christmas is for everybody. Matthew gives us all the details. He, he fills it in with all the with, with adultery, with scandal, with a prostitute. He fills it in with murder, what, whatever it is you have done. Matthew puts it in. Jesus said, I have taken that on for you. Well, James, wait a minute. I thought you said that Micah said that his history, his bloodline is ancient and distinguished. And yet when you read that, what 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 What's distinguished about his bloodline? Church, that's just his mother's side. That's just his mother's side of the family tree. Do you know what his father's side of the family tree is? I, in John, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about his word, God the Father. This is the trinity that, that God shows himself in. In verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, but he's only the Savior of the world if he's the Savior in your life and in my life. That's the story of Christmas. Stand with me. Let me pray with you. And if you're a follower of Christ, that's you. If you've never become a follower of Christ, you can become a follower of Christ by simply believing. That's what he requires. You, you believe that Jesus came to us in the form of a baby, lived a sinless life. You see, Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% human, man. Uh, only God could do this. And they, they were folded together in a life that was willingly sacrificed for your sins and for my sins. And you can accept him as your savior by simply believing that. And if you've never done that, I want to give you that invitation this morning. Say, so, you know what, James, I've never done it. I want to do that. Because in doing that, when you die, leave this planet, or if Jesus comes sooner than that, then you, you, you go right away, the Bible says, to be with him. That's, we, we live in that benefit as followers of Christ, as believers. He gives us that gift. And then beyond that, he, he actually not only, he not only gives us a, the, the, the passage to heaven when we leave this planet, but he also brings part of heaven into our lives here because he goes through our lives with us. Let me just bow real quickly here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never done that and you would like to accept Jesus as your Savior, just put your hand right up and put it right back down. It's really that simple. Yes, 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 yes. Lord, thank you 
Your word says all of heaven rejoices. In other words, a party you celebrate. It is so valuable when one of us recognizes and accepts you as our Savior. And we just celebrate that this morning. And we're so thankful for that. And as we head into this Christmas season, as your children, in following you, we stop, we recognize, we once again focus on the fact it's a fallen, broken world, and oh, we need a Savior. And you, at the perfect time, God sent your son Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Lord, as we, even as we leave here this morning, your church family, I pray, God, that uh, as our prayer team is up front afterwards, as, as we pray for people and needs in our lives, we look for your touch, we look for your healing, and we celebrate those who are now a part of our family, now children of yours. Bless us, Lord, we ask. In your precious and holy name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.